We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Welcome to Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Oxentenko's message today is entitled, The Unexpected Catch. That's The Unexpected Catch, and you can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, you can call us at any time, 24-7. Here's the phone number, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Here now is Pastor Michael Oxentenko with The Unexpected Catch. Today's Reaching Your Heart. Lord, I want to thank you that you sent the great king of the fish of the sea to be our king, to gather us, to keep us, to hold us, and to show us the way. And Father, without Jesus, we have no hope, we have no future, but with Jesus, we have everything. Bless us in him this day. In his name, amen. The past few years, fishing has played an important role in my family's life. How many of you like to go fishing with your children? Yes or no? You like that? I'm telling you, I love to fish with my boys. And they're getting to the point now where they like to hang out with teenagers. And those days are disappearing in a hurry. Now, my wife hates fishing, but she loves us. So she lets us go fishing while she stays at home. She's been very clear, don't ever bring any of those fish home. Now, we fished in different ways over the years. When we first started, we started using worms. You can all say yuck together, because it is a yucky way of fishing. And when that got old, we advanced to bass lures and plastic worms. We used a little technology to catch these fish. Now, last year, I had an artificial lure at Kenton Narrows. My son Donald was standing with me, and I threw that thing out into the bay, and we hooked a monster. But like all fishing stories, it got away. Now, this is not a fake story. It's a true one, but I have no way to prove it. Now, when we got real sophisticated in our fishing, we learned to fly fish. A few years ago, I taught my boys how to catch brook trout with their bare hands. Now, when you can go into a stream, you can run down those trout, you can figure out how to catch them with your bare hands, you are a fisherman. Here's how it goes. You stick your hand in the cold water, and when it's cold like the water, when it's adjusted to the temperature of the chill... You place your hand under the side of the bank of the river where the trout are hiding from the light. Now, other things hide under the bank too, but you're just hoping that it's a trout that you will find. And when you feel something that's cold, slimy, and it has a little movement to it, by faith, you believe that's a trout. And then you move your fingers up its slimy body until something sharp like a gill plate can be felt by your fingers, and then you squeeze hard and suddenly. And if you pull a fish out, you're fine. If you pull a copperhead out, you're not so fine. You're in deep trouble. Now, one day last year when I was fly fishing with my older son, John Michael, I caught a 22-inch brown trout at Gunpowder Falls with my bare hands. It was the ultimate experience. I tell you, it was great. Now, I used to brag a little bit about fish that we caught. Uh, Maybe I still do. But I used to do a lot more until I met a man who literally put me to shame with all this. On 198, the road just down the road here, just down at the intersection of 29, there's an Afghani restaurant that is operated by a family from Afghanistan. 
And there are good people there, and the vegetarian dishes are wonderful. As I was standing in line one day, I turned to the subject of fishing. I was telling this Afghani owner about how America is a great country. We carved out a wilderness and made it into a civilization. He listened for a while, and I was telling about how we learned to fish in the frontier. It's been passed down from father to son, doing the Daniel Boone thing with him. Before long, he grew impatient with me and my American ways. He's my friend. He said, American fishing stories are hard for me to hear. Finally, he stopped. He said, just stop right now. He said, you Americans don't know how to fish. You string an invisible line that looks silly and smelly worms or these fake plastic worms and little things that look like flies. In Afghanistan, we don't waste our time with these dumb American ways. He said, we just take a piece of dynamite We throw it into the river and there's a big bang and all the fish rise to the top and then we're done with the fishing. We go home, we have enough for a week or two or three. He said, why do you fish this way? I didn't say a word. I took my bag, I left. He is the ultimate fisherman. Dynamite fishing is far superior to anything I've ever done. Now this word dynamite, the ancient word dynamite in the Greek comes from A word which means explosive power. It is a synonym for the word authority. We derive our word dynamic and dynamism from this ancient Greek word. And it's the word that the Apostle Paul uses in Romans 1.16 when he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the dynamite power of God for salvation. To everyone has faith. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel is God's dynamite method of fishing. It is God's dynamite method of finding people who cannot save themselves and bringing explosive divine power into their lives. The gospel is God's power to save us through faith. Some people are saying, well, Pastor Mike, why do we talk about the gospel so much? Dear heart, I have discovered my own experience that I don't have the power to save myself, that I cannot in my own power overcome habits or traits of character or temperament that are within me, that unless there is an external force working in my life, I would quickly lose my way and drift away. But dear heart, I am not ashamed of Jesus Christ because God has sent all the power, the explosive power of divine energy into this world. He has placed that power, which is the person of His own divine Son, into a human form. And God has visited us with dynamite power. Jesus is the good news. In Luke 4.36, the same word is used by Luke as he describes the ministry of Jesus Christ. He says, And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and dunamis, dynamite kind of power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. The word of Jesus was dunamis kind of power. It was dynamite power. His word had explosive power to heal and to banish the unclean spirits. In Luke 4.14, Christ received this dunamis power when He was baptized by the Holy Spirit and God's own voice said, This is My Son and God gave Him authority to save this planet. Spiritual authority, dear heart, is not based on religious emotion or excitement. It's not the product of feeling or religious fancy. It doesn't come from fast music and drums and rhythm. And it's not a matter of church growth experts or how smart we are or how philosophical we look. It doesn't come from ritual or tradition or ceremony. Spiritual power comes from the Word of Jesus Christ, 
Christ was the Word. He had authority as the Word of God. And Jesus' Word, dear heart, has power to overcome the kingdom of Satan. In Luke 5, 17, Luke says there was power with Jesus to heal. Now you cannot separate the power of Jesus' Word, the teaching power of Jesus, from the healing power of Jesus. The Word of God contained within it the healing power of God to transform lives. That's why the multitudes flocked to Jesus. They didn't come to Him because He had a large sound effect system. They didn't come to Him because He had a mega church. They gathered to Him by the sea or on the top of the mountain, at the house, wherever He could be found. Why? Because Christ had authority and power to transform lives. Christ didn't waste their time with Plato and Aristotle. He didn't occupy their attention with F. Scott Fitzgerald or Homer or Herodotus. He didn't pour through the writings of the rabbis to make his points. When Christ taught the people, he taught them with the authority of the Word of God. There's something beautiful about the power of the Word of God when a person hears it, when it finds its place into their heart, and then when by faith they just latch on to it, and something changes in that person. Dear heart, reason cannot explain this. It cannot be justified in any other way but to say that somehow God has visited that person through the seed of His power, which is the Holy Spirit operating on the written and spoken Word. That's why people came to Jesus. They had for years longed for an authority that would rule the despair in their lives and give them hope. They came to Christ because there was power in the words of Jesus. Luke 5, 1, while the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. So here is Christ preaching in the open air. The world was his parish, as John Wesley said. He didn't have a place to preach, so everywhere was his place to preach. In the Gospel of Luke, the Sea of Galilee is called the Lake of Gennesaret. Luke always calls it a lake. The other Gospels call it a sea. Jesus didn't wait for people to come to him. Jesus went fishing for people where they lived. And so he took his place by the lake and they pressed him about to hear his words of power. And as they pressed him, we get this picture of him stepping right back into the sea and he's looking for ground to preach and to teach from. So where do you preach when there is no pulpit, no lectern? Where do you preach when there's no sound system? Where do you go? Look at verse 2. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. And getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. What an amazing picture. Imagine the king of the universe, the authority that brought whole systems and sons into existence, sits in a boat, a fisherman's boat, and teaches the common people, the smallest denominators of human civilization, teaching them the divine word of God by the sea. Heaven stooped to see this. The universe was profoundly affected by the sight they saw. They could not imagine such a thing, yet here it was. Their king, their potentate of time, taking his time to minister to those who needed the word of God. Verse 2 says, he saw some fishermen washing their nets by the sea. Christ took the Word of God into the workplace in the life of ordinary people. He looked at places like Haiti and He said, Haiti is my mission field. He looked at Ethiopia and other places. You see, wherever there was a need, Christ in prophetic vision knew the Word of God must find those spots of need. And so He went where people needed Him. The Greek word for fisherman in this verse is halos. And we get the word halite from it. 
Halite is the geological word for salt. Fishermen were called salts. That's the name, salts. So Christ took the word of God to these old salts and young salts, these simple salts of the sea. In Matthew 5.11, Jesus told his disciples that you are the salt of the earth. Now this may have been a word play on the Greek word for fisherman. Every believer in this sense is a fisher of men. That makes him the salt of the earth who carries the word of God to simple folk of the sea. That makes every believer in some way a preserving agent as well. You see, when a fisherman catches fish, he packs them in salt so they will stay fresh. And so when the salts of the sea, those who are fishers of men, gather people into the church, the church should be a preserving agent for those who need to grow up into God. Christ said, you are the salt of the earth. You catch the fish and you preserve them in the church. The church should be full of fish. In verse 2, Luke records that Jesus sat down in the boat and he taught the people as he sat in the boat. Now Luke is deliberate with the record that's here recorded. Jesus could have stopped in the boat and taught the people. He could have stood up tall where they could all see him. The teachers in the synagogue taught that way. They would take their place and they would read from the Torah standing up. When Jesus started his ministry in Luke 4, he stood in the synagogue and he read from the people. So why is he sitting in the boat? It doesn't seem to exactly match his persona or his style that we have seen in the previous chapter. Christ sat in the boat for a very good reason. Christ sat in that boat to teach those people that he was a king who had dominion over the fish of the sea. In the Bible, fish are a symbol of people who have no king. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Genesis 1.26. Now here's where we find fish for the first time in the Bible. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. Now when Adam sinned, he was driven from the garden. He lost his former dominion. Now because of the fall of Adam, to catch a fish today, you know what you have to do? You have to put a worm on a hook. You have to use a net. You have to trick it. You have to snare it. But Adam could have told those fish, jump in the net. And they would have jumped in the net. He could have said, swim to the shore. And they would have swam to the shore. He had the ability to have dominion over the animal kingdom. And so in the miracle here that we're going to see, why is it so significant that Christ is able to command the fish and they come into the net? It is proof that Jesus is the second Adam. That the authority and the dominion that he lost, somehow that power, that authority, that dominion has come into the life of Jesus Christ. And he has authority over the fish of the sea. Now, in Afghanistan, of course, I mentioned they don't use worms. They use dynamite. In America, you have to be wise. You use a net or a fishing pole. But use dynamite, you go to jail around here. So I don't recommend you fish like that. I once fished with a net in the Marshall Islands. I had a friend from the island of Fiji who taught me how to do it. You get this long net, and you throw rocks on the surf. You scare the fish, and you run like crazy with that net, dropping it. And then once it's there, a team of men run into the net, and when the fish have entered the net. You take the fish by hand and you bite them on the head. Uh, This is what they do. And then you throw it on the bank. And as many fish as you can catch that way are yours. Well, you would deserve them if you've done that. That's how I look at it. Now Solomon compared people to the fish who are snared in a net. Ecclesiastes 9.12, for man does not know his time like fish which are taken in an evil net. And like birds which are caught in a snare, so the sons of men are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Sudden calamity is like being caught in a net when you don't expect it. The net falls and you're in trouble. The metaphor of a fish is not always a good metaphor. 
the prophet Ezekiel preached that one day the fish in the Dead Sea would live. I mean, Palestine, you can see the city of Jerusalem each side. To the north is the Sea of Galilee, a freshwater lake. To the south, the Dead Sea, the lowest spot on planet Earth. And Ezekiel described the Dead Sea. He described it prophetically, a river of life that is flowing from God's holy sanctuary by degree, coming all the way down to the lowest spot on planet Earth, finding the deadest spot on planet Earth. And he wrote this, verse 9 of Ezekiel 47, And wherever the river goes, everything living, every living creature that swarms will live. And there will be very many fish, for this water goes there, that the waters of the sea may become fresh, so everything will live where the river goes. You see, God's throne, which is the center of the universe, at the heights of Mount Zion, there is a river, the Bible says, that makes glad the city of the Most High. And that river flows all the way down to the lowest spot on planet Earth, and it finds the person in the deep, in the dead deep, that can't dig their way out. And where that river goes, dear heart... Wherever it goes, there is life and that soul can live. Paul says, whoever is led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. You see, it doesn't matter what kind of success opportunities you have had or not. It doesn't matter if your background is brilliant or not. What matters is if you respond to the river of God's Spirit that finds its way through the Word of God into your life. You relate to that Word, you surrender that Word, and you will become a living spiritual being. The other gospel is called the Sea of Galilee, a sea. You would expect it to be a salt sea, but that's not how it was. Luke is right in calling it a lake. The New Testament Greek word for lake is used in the Greek Old Testament only three times. Psalms 106, 35, Psalms 113, verse 8, and Song of Solomon 7, 5. And in every case, this Greek word for lake means fresh water. The Sea of Galilee was a fresh water lake that the Bible called in other places a sea. In the Gospel of John, this lake is called the Sea of Tiberias. Why? Because it represented prophetically what would happen in the Roman Sea of Peoples. That the word of Christ, the dawn of the resurrection, would infiltrate and permeate the darkness of the sea. And there would be hope for all the fish in the Sea of Tiberias. The prophet Ezekiel said the salt water would become fresh when the river of life reaches the sea. So Luke calls Galilee a lake instead of a sea. It was full of fresh water. The Sea of Galilee was a freshwater lake because the Spirit of God had found the dying fish in the land of Galilee. Ezekiel says in verse 10, Fishermen will stand beside the sea from Engedi to Enigliam, and it will be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be of very many kinds like the fish of the great sea. So the prophet saw the Sea of Death. It would become a freshwater sea, and fishermen in the future will catch the fish in the sea. Jesus sat in the boat. And because he is the king of all the fish who live in the sea, he had authority to go fishing and to command those fish to jump into the kingdom net. In Luke 5 4, the story continues. And when he had ceased speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, in the story, there's a direct connection between Jesus teaching and Jesus catching fish. See, preaching and teaching the words of Jesus is the same thing as fishing for men. The gospel preacher here has not been called to an uncertain task to entertain or to somehow make people feel good about themselves. He's not been called to look educated and to impress the listener. 
He's not been called to impress the masses with his delivery and his turn of the phrase. The gospel teacher in this context is a fisher of men. And the words of Jesus are the means of catching fish. And so Christ commanded Peter, do what I say and let's go fishing. You know, there are times in the church we need to quit doing what we think and do what God says and go fishing. Christ told Peter two things. Number one, he said, put out into the deep. That means go where the fish are. Now, how many of you know that when you go fishing, if you're in the shallows too often, you don't catch fish if it's a hot day. So you've got to go where the fish are deep. Now, we have technology to figure this out. I don't know if you've noticed those in these bass boats. They have these bass fish finders. Have you seen those? You're going along and suddenly it starts beeping. You see the little fish and the person's in the boat. If it's a young child, say, stop the boat! And you drop your lines over because the bass finder says, way down deep is a fish. Now, they've come out with these things that are portable where you can actually put them on a casting line. You can cast out one of these indicators, these radar indicators, into the deep, and you can reel it over the water and figure out where the fish are. And then you can fish from that spot. Now, we've got real creative in our family. We're thinking of using digital cameras. You know, you Velcro those things to a fishing line. You cut on the movie mode. You kind of lower it down and move it around until you see the fish. And then you throw your line in to catch the fish. Now, the only bad part about that is if you lose the digital camera in the middle of the deep. But the point Jesus said is put out into the deep. That means go where the fish are. The fish don't come to you. You must go to where the fish are. There's a place for study. But dear heart, if you want to get deep with God, go hunting for the fish. Number two, Jesus said put your net into the deep. Now, to find the fish, you have to reach out to the fish. The deep here is the same word used for the deep the devil was thrown into in the book of Revelation. The deep is the place where the evil spirits asked not to go when they went into the swine. You see, the fish live in the place that Satan has control of, the deep, dark holes of human existence. And Christ told Peter, don't go fishing on the bank. Go fishing in the deep. Go where people cannot find me. You find them. Reaching people for Jesus Christ means reaching down to save those people. Everyone wants to think a deep thought every now and then. You know, we sit in Sabbath school class and I see this. You know, one philosophic type sometimes moves to another. And then you kind of grab your chin and you say, well, let me think that through. And then there's an effort to come up with some deep, profound thought. And that's okay. But if you want to get real deep in life, dear heart, reach down to someone who can't reach up to God. If you want to think deep thoughts and do deep things... Think of someone who cannot be saved unless your effort, no matter how clumsy it may look, is applied to their need to pull them up and out of their present situation. If you're having a hard time with depression in your life, I'm going to make a recommendation to you. You want some practical application of energy to get out of that depression? Find someone who's twice as miserable as you are, and you pour a little love into that person's life. You take them something to their home, You come to them and you speak words of encouragement. You make it a matter to pray for that person. I have a strong suspicion that the Holy Spirit of God will encourage you and strengthen you and your depression will break because you will no longer be thinking of yourself but for the person who has a worse situation than you who lives in a deeper hole than you do. Luke 5, 5, and Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. Now human thought is not very deep as far as God is concerned. Jesus' word is deep. The human need is deep. And Jesus' love is 
deep. And the mission of the church is an expansion of the deep will of God to reach the lost and save them from the darkness of the deep. So Peter said, listen. He said, Lord, I'm hearing what you're saying. The word is interacting with me. But I'm an expert fisherman. I've done this all my life. I'm the one who knows how to fish. I mean, this was what must have been going through his head. And now you're telling me to obey your word and to go against my intuition, to go against my experience, to do what you say? Unfortunately, we need to leave it there for today's Reaching Your Heart. But remember, you can always go online to finish this message or join us tomorrow. Thanks for listening today. If this message is ministered to you, remember there are many more just like it at reachingyourheart.com. If you're a regular listener to this broadcast or if you've just tuned in for the first time and have been inspired by this sermon and you'd like to partner with us to help keep these radio broadcasts on the air, you can simply call us at 1-888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-HOPE, day or night, 24-7. One of our team is available to assist you right now. We believe God is moving across the globe, touching lives and reaching hearts. And you are helping make this a reality with your gift of any amount. Spiritualism in a variety of forms is making its way through the Western world. The afterlife, the spirit world and spirit mediums can be found in movies, best-selling books and popular TV programs. These themes are making their way into our children's entertainment even. We have this free book to help you understand things a little bit better entitled Dark Tunnels or Bright Lights. This book candidly reveals biblical truth about this subject and pulls the curtain aside to reveal why there is so much interest in this topic. The book reveals the deceptions of spiritualism based on biblical teachings so that you can confidently discern truth from error as the topic continues to gain momentum across all levels of society. Now, this book is absolutely free. You can simply call us at 1-888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-HOPE, day or night, 24-7. Thanks for tuning in, and we pray that God is reaching your heart and growing you up in Christ through these messages.